You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash missionlog. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash missionlog. And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash missionlog. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 502, Scorpion Part 2. Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we ask you to trust in our examination of an episode of Star Trek as we trust to find a moral meaning or message contained within and hope that the episode won't stab us in the back or if it withstands the test of time. This week, it's the premiere of Voyager Season 4, Scorpion Part 2. The epic conclusion of Scorpion Part 1, and the even epicer introduction of a character that changes the history of not only Voyager, but the Star Trek franchise for all time. Ooh, that's, that's big. That's a big promise. I'll be back with trivia in a moment. But first, Norman wants to tell all of you how to reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at missionlogpod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. Hey, before I jump into trivia, uh, Norman, what do you say we take a couple of seconds here to thank our latest Patreon members? You have been so good to us at patreon.com slash mission log. And that, of course, has gotten you into the mission log discord where the conversation continues. Norman, what's happening over on discord right now? Well, one thing that we always love about discord and talking about discord is this fabulous community of people who and this is a very interesting thing, John, has started mm. to create their own communities of very specific chats and live chats. Yes. And I think that that is a testament to not only the quality of subscribers and supporters that we have on Discord, but their their proactiveness and their interest in creating an even more dynamic group and a more robust conversation overall, because this is their server. This is their platform yes. and this is their time. And, you know, it's cool. You and I get to do Mission Log Live, or we get to talk about Star Trek in real time. But then that happens in our Discord as well. So it might be a chat about Strange New Worlds or Discovery or whatever is happening at the moment, as well as other shows that are in our fandom. So you do Babylon 5 with Char. We've got Twilight Zone chat every week or every other week, depending. Uh, we've got discussions about, uh, well, Contiki is one of my favorites because that's all about what's happening in convention space and real world meetups and of course shortly after this episode drops we will have a patreon only party in vegas so really talk about making that community live and in person that's what happens so you of course can join us at patreon.com slash mission log that gets you in the door for our discord Big thanks to some of our latest members who have joined us there. Gary, Eleanor, Brent, Becca, Muhammad Noor himself, thank you, and Stuart. 
you can chat with all of us and all of them at our Discord, and Patreon is what gets you in. Patreon.com slash Mission Log. And now, here's John Champion with this week's Assimilated Trivia. All right, we're wrapping up Scorpion with Scorpion 2. And this one was written, like the last episode, by Brandon Braga and Joe Minoski. And, you know, Brandon, of course, wanted more Borg. He, he really liked Unity and felt like this was a good way to start exploring the ideas, as we mentioned last week. And there was something that stuck from there. The idea of Borg who were separated from their collective, what would that journey be like? Well, with Scorpion 2, we're on our way to introducing a character who can explore that in a profound way. The episode was directed by Wienrich Kolbe, and of course, he's a staple on Voyager. And he said that he had a high level of collaboration with Brannon on this episode and was pleased to explore more of the Janeway-Chakotay dynamic here and their command styles and their conflict. And he also had some words of advice for a new cast member, helping her find the delivery and tone for a once-human Borg. We also have changing credits in this episode. If you uh, stick around to read them, and I hope you do, there are some changes to note. Ranks are removed from the character listings except for Captain Janeway. And Jennifer Lean as Kess is removed from the opening credits and moved to the opening of Act 1 with the modifier also starring. And that's because there's a new cast member added to the main credits. Let us welcome to the show, Jerry Ryan. Now, the production hadn't really settled fully on who Seven would be, and they specifically didn't introduce her in part one of Scorpion in order to give themselves some more time to come up with the character and the casting. And casting not only took a while, but the production eased into it with a few weeks lead time to get Jerry acclimated once they had picked her. Only one problem. Jerry didn't want the role at first, and then was a bit intimidated by the amount of dialogue, specifically the techno babble, and went to Rick Berman personally for the assurance that this character would grow into something more. Her worries were assuaged by Rick's insistence that Seven would be complex and a wholly new alien for Star Trek, someone who is part Borg, part human, and discovering what that means along the way. Jerry herself was born in Germany as Jerry Lynn Zimmerman, an army brat for a number of years. She attended college at Northwestern University studying theater and handily found that entering beauty pageants could help pay her tuition, eventually landing her to placing fourth place in the Miss America pageant. She was married briefly to Jack Ryan, hence the name, and uh, Jack was an Illinois politician and one-time U.S. Senate hopeful running against Barack Obama. In the early and mid-90s, Jerry landed a number of TV guest roles, but an early standout recurring gig included the sci-fi series Dark Skies, which ended just as Voyager cast her. Good timing there. Of course, we probably don't need to explain or elaborate upon Jerry's acting career after Voyager. She was cast on Boston Public, Shark, and Body of Proof, and that's in addition to more guest and feature film roles. And now, 
Seven has been back in a big way, if you can allow me to break the timeline, just this very once, I swear that's all, in Star Trek Picard, and who knows, maybe beyond. Welcome to the Delta Quadrant. Time to check under your hood. Looks like your space fluid is running low. Don't worry, we just found a lot more. Prologue. Fleeing a recent attack by Species 8472, a Borg cube is dragging Voyager alongside it via tractor beam. Chakotay orders Balana to transport the captain back to Voyager while the cube's shields are offline. Suddenly, Janeway appears on the view screen and explains that she's reached an accord with the Borg to help build their bioweapon to defeat Species 8472 while the Borg escorts them safely through their space. Chakotay asks if they can be released from the tractor beam. Janeway agrees to propose the request and also orders Tuvok to join her on the cube while declaring that she's going to make this work. Act 1. In sickbay, Chakotay watches on as the doctor administers his first batch of reprogrammed Borg nanoprobes into a severely infected Harry Kim. Almost immediately, the tentacles and scales covering most of Harry's face and neck begin to dissolve. After patting himself on the back, the doctor confides in Chakotay, saying he's unsure that his treatment can be easily weaponized as per Janeway's promise to the Borg. After returning to the bridge, Chakotay takes issue with Balana's can't-do attitude and only wants viable solutions for how to retrieve the captain and Tuvok if the Borg deal goes sideways. Just then, the Borg deactivate their tractor beam as if in a sign of good faith that they are maintaining their end of the bargain. Back in sickbay, Kess is terrorized by visions of species 8472. She sees one reflected in her wall monitor as another lurches at her. As the doctor comforts her, she tells him, they're watching us. On the Borg cube, Janeway and Tuvok are ready to get to work. When, surprise, their Borg handlers assault them and attach neurotransmitters to their necks to increase work efficiency a la Borg hive mind connectivity. Janeway demands that either the Borg provide a single representative to work with instead of this pseudo-assimilation, or their deal is off. Suddenly, Janeway and Tuvok are introduced to a single drone, a female Borg who has been chosen to speak for the collective. Act 2. The drone introduces herself as Seven of Nine, tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix 01. She declares that modified torpedoes will be inadequate and only a bioweapon of mass destruction would be most efficient against 8472. Tuvok points out this would take time, would adversely affect an entire SAR system, and prolong a war that the Borg are already losing. Janeway suggests instead of a weapon of mass destruction to use smaller weapons instead, proving to 8472 that they are indeed vulnerable, forcing them to withdraw. Seven accepts on the Borg's behalf. Meanwhile, on Voyager, while examining Kess, the doctor tells Chakotay that she's suffering from another telepathic probe from Species 8472 and that there may be more behind these psychic attacks. On the Borg cube, Janeway tries to connect with Seven, but their conversation is cut short. Chakotay relays to Janeway that Species 8472 may have accessed what Kess knows of their attack plans. Seven then forces Janeway to immediately produce a prototype weapon, but Janeway refuses, citing that once she delivers the weapon, the Borg will end their detente and assimilate Voyager. Back on the bridge, Harry has made a full recovery 
and has returned to duty and not a moment too late as a bioship emerges from a nearby singularity. The Borg Cube shields Voyager from the attack and sacrifices itself to protect the nanoprobes. Tuvok contacts Chakotay from inside Cargo Bay 2 and reports that he, Captain Janeway, and several Borg drones were transported over before the cube exploded. Chakotay and a heavily armed security detail converge on the cargo bay and discover that the captain has been severely injured. Seven of Nine confronts Chakotay and reminds him of their alliance. Act 3 In the aftermath of the attack, Janeway and Tuvok are being treated for their injuries. Tuvok, having suffered nothing serious, is concerned for Kess, who says her visions have subsided for now. The doctor informs Chakotay and Tuvok that the captain's neural pathways were disrupted by an explosion aboard the Borg cube. He needs to place her in a medical coma, but she may never regain consciousness after. Chakotay then orders Tuvok to lock down the Borg in the cargo bay. Then, in a very private moment, Janeway places Chakotay in command and pleads with him to make their alliance with the Borg work and to get Voyager home. In Cargo Bay 2, Chakotay meets with Seven and makes his terms very clear— he will honor Janeway's alliance for now, and once both ends of the bargain are met, they will part ways swiftly and amicably. Seven balks at the current agreement and demands she and her drones are reunited with the closest Borg ship, which is several days in the opposite direction. Chakotay repeats he will honor the original agreement and will think on any alterations. Seven threateningly insists he think quickly. In the briefing room, Chakotay, alongside his crew, his friends, believes parting ways and ending Janeway's agreement with the Borg is the safest course of action. He orders Tom to find a habitable planet where they can deposit the Borg and the nanoprobes so Voyager can go on its way. And when he tells Seven of this plan, she vilifies humanity as being everything antithetical to the harmonious and cohesive Borg. He warns her that if even one drone steps out of line, he'll decompress the entire deck and jettison every last drone into space. Later in sickbay... Chakotay confesses to an unconscious Janeway what he has done and hopes she will be able to understand and forgive him. Act 4 Undeterred by Chakotay's warning, Seven and her drones continue their plans for the fight to come. Upon reconnecting with the Collective, they are taken aback by the news of the total destruction of an area of their space consisting of over 4 million Borg. Seven disregards Chakotay's warning and infiltrates a nearby Jeffrey's tube. As Voyager approaches a nearby moon, where Chakotay believes is suitable to deposit his Borg guests, Balana reports that Voyager's deflector is being used to open a singularity. Chakotay orders Seven and her drones to stand down but to no avail. He makes good on his promise and vents every drone into space, all but one. Seven manages to complete opening the singularity, and its gravity well pulls Voyager inside, into what Balana says is some kind of region filled with organic fluid, not space, but matter. Just then, Seven of Nine overships comms informs them that they are now in the domain of species 8472, and that they know that Voyager has invaded their space, and have dispatched a fleet of bioships to intercept. Confronting her in Cargo Bay 2, Chakotay and Tuvok press Seven for information. She admits that the Borg tried to assimilate species 8472 because of their genetic perfection and how this species would elevate the Borg to an even greater level of biological and technological perfection. But 8472 fought back. Resistance to them was not futile. 
Tuvok surmises instead of just resisting, 8472 declared war on the Borg, entered Borg space, and subsequently now all life in the Delta Quadrant and beyond is to suffer the Borg's mistake. Seven pivots the conversation and presses for the immediate construction of the bioweapon torpedoes since they are the only chance to stop 8472. Just then, the doctor summons Chakotay to sickbay. Captain Janeway has regained consciousness, and upon hearing what Chakotay has done in her stead, she is furious as to why he disobeyed her direct orders. Chakotay stands firm, believing that his course of action was right, and as the two of them find themselves on the precipice of perhaps permanently damaging their friendship, or even more, Chakotay remembers what Seven said about how their dysfunction will be their undoing. Both Janeway and Chakotay remember that they have always been at their strongest when working together. Later on the bridge, Seven meets with Janeway, who is back in command and has relieved Chakotay of duty. Janeway orders her crew to prepare for what she knew was inevitable. She orders them to prepare for war. Act 5. Kess has taken her seat next to Janeway, and all preparations have been made, including Seven's Borg modifications to Voyager herself. Tom reports that four bioships have just entered sensor range. Kess is contacted by Species 8472, and through her, she tells Janeway that Voyager has contaminated their realm. Janeway tells Kess, as their conduit, that Voyager is only trying to defend themselves. But 8472 insists that Voyager, their kind, and their galaxy will be purged. And with that, the battle is joined. Voyager, regardless of their Borg-enhanced defenses, is easily damaged by the bioship's firepower. Janeway orders Tuvok to fire back with their own biomolecular warheads, but the weapons have no effect on the 8472 bioships. It seems that their plan has failed. Until right when the bioships are about to counterattack, one by one, each bioship explodes. The nanoprobes, even if they took their own time, worked exactly as planned. However, Species 8472 is undeterred and continues their pursuit. This time, Tuvok fires their high-yield torpedo, which destroys 13 bioships, the bulk of 8472's attack fleet, causing the remaining ships to retreat. The battle has been won, and Seven declares that the Borg have prevailed, to which Janeway takes her fair share of the credit. Suddenly, Seven terminates their alliance and forces her way across the bridge and thrusts her assimilation tubules into Voyager's helm. And with that, Janeway contacts Chakotay and utters one word, Scorpion. In Seven's alcove in Cargo Bay 2, the Doctor activates a sensor on Chakotay's neck and he is instantly reconnected to the Borg Collective and distracts Seven's attention as Balana works on a Borg power conduit. Chakotay sees a young human girl, hears the name Annika, and tries to appeal to Seven's former humanity, all the while distracting her from what is about to happen. As Chakotay begins to lose the link, Balana initiates a power surge that causes the neural transceivers on both Chakotay and Seven to burn out. Seven is unconscious and separated from the Borg. Later in her Da Vinci holodeck program, Janeway finishes her captain's log the old, old-fashioned way, with ink, quill, and parchment. Chakotay approaches her, and the two reunited friends put their differences behind them. They both realize that the only way to move forward is together, even if they disagree. One last question remains. What to do with Seven, who lies unconscious on a sickbay biobed? 
The doctor told Chakotay that her human cells are regenerating, making Janeway wonder if the human female underneath all that Borg technology can ever be recovered. The end. Look, I know you didn't mean anything by it, but uh, I love that you started the recap with the Battlestar Galactica reference. And even more, uh, to me at least, you have an unintended top secret reference. Uh, because mm-hmm. when you said detente, all I could think <laughs> of was the lineup of the French resistance. Avant-garde. Detente. There are those who believe that life here began in fluid began space. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. All right. Well, let's dive into it. So, I, man, sometimes art orders that are barked out on the bridge of a starship, you feel like they are obvious and redundant. The Borg are scattering the transport beam. Compensate. Uh, uh, okay. I mean, that, that's just saying fix it. Which right. I assume that Bellana is doing anyway. <laughs> so kind well, of an unnecessary small, order, but sure. Small correction, John, that's Starfleet for fix it. Oh, that is, that is. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good call. <laughs> and then, uh, Janeway calls for, uh, Mr. Tuvok transport to my coordinates. Uh, and if I'm him, I'm thinking on the board cube. How about somebody else? How about, how about anybody else but me? He's looking at his watch like I'm on break. In like two yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah. Can I know? just get back to me? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. that brings up an interesting point. Like Janeway asks for Tuvok specifically when she really needs an engineer. That's Balana. Yeah. So yeah. is she trying to basically like have the best of both worlds there? Ooh, I like what you did there. Right. Look, I, I think she's bringing out the logic, big guns. I, I think, yeah. that, you know, because if you're going to argue with a computer, you need somebody who can do a Kirk-like talking a computer to the point that smoke comes out of its ears. And really, Tuvok right. is the guy for that. Yeah. And then have a little bit of the science and engineering. And then also, you know, have like the strength to be able to fight off a board drone. That's true. So, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, like I that. mean, and I guess if you're going to pick one, you just pick one because you don't want to risk more of your crew. Yeah, exactly. Really like those little Borg nanoprobes in the animation, the 10 million of them that the doctor has mm-hmm. replicated. Very cool. Nice use of CG there. And uh, still, you know, we pointed it out last week, but great makeup on Garrett and really yeah. nice use of CG making it go away, I thought. Right. So Chakotay from sickbay like runs back to the bridge and there's this weird moment where he, he kind of like sidesteps and pats on the back, like an extra that was walking right in his blocking. Do you think that was purposeful or accidental? Oh, I mean, I always feel like there is very little on Star Trek that is accidental. Maybe that one was, and they just happened to keep that take, but I, I think it adds to the immediacy of what's mm-hmm. going on yeah, more of that bring it i think so yeah i think it was like planned chaos yeah yeah chakotay snaps a little bit at balan it's like i don't know i don't want to hear what you can't do i want to hear what you can do and he wants her to get a transporter lock on janeway and tuvok so why doesn't she use the skeletal transporter lock that was such a fixated thing in the last episode she just invented it i mean right? exactly yeah he would think Man. if she invented it that means the borg don't know about it that's true. That's very true. 
Yeah, yeah. Just saying. Um, and those Borg, they are rough. I mean, they, they are really pushing around Janeway and Tuvok and forcing a neural link. That's pretty intense stuff. And I do have to say, it's kind of an inspired choice to have a single Borg representative. There is a good toughness from Janeway in getting that concession made. But you think about it, we're however many months after first contact, where we introduced the idea of a Borg queen. And of course, you know, go way back and you had Locutus. So you have the, this idea of a singular Borg entity that can speak for all of them. I thought it was a nice way to to bring in this character. It's amazing the power behind a name, because as you said, like when you say Locutus, like all of that history just comes to the surface. Yeah. yeah. You know, from best of both worlds all the way up to first contact in this situation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and I like when those references feel organic like this, you mm-hmm. know, um, you don't have to stop and explain to anybody. You can just immediately get it. And and great reveal for seven. I speak for the Borg. We rarely ever hear Borg say I, but mm-hmm. this one does. But great bit of humor there. Uh, you can call me seven of nine. <laughs> You know. For short, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you use my whole name, but you could just get a nice little bit of unintended humor. I really like that. And uh, we are Borg, which is great. Just honestly, a great answer to anything. And I, I also, I love the reluctance of admitting that Janeway may indeed be right. It's like, mm-hmm. we can do anything. Oh, oh, okay, maybe you're right. We'll just go along with it, <laughs> you know? Speaking to those two points, and I love how we come about these things like organically and we're bringing up the same kind of points. When when she says, when Seven of Nine says we are Borg, is that like Humanity Day saying like seriously? Or like a Borg, <laughs> is it like the Borg facepalm? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like, you've got to be kidding yeah. me, right? And then speaking of I speak for the Borg, well, I love Seven's I movement. When she says things like you're small, you think small. And then Janeway tries mm-hmm. to defend her position. If you really look closely, there's a lot of like rapid movement in Seven's eye. And yes. it's like she's processing yes. the collective information. And then she says, okay, we'll do it yeah. your way. Yeah, that right. little twitch is mm-hmm. really well played. You know, speaking of eyes, I, I love the focus on the weird iris that the uh, species eight four seven two have. Really strange. Mm-hmm. You you just feel like okay, this is a cool effect. We gotta we gotta show this off. Yeah, the sequence with Cass and then in the monitor, and then the pupil. I thought that was all really good building, kind of like the eight four seven two psychic threat. Yeah, psychic threat. That's a great name for a that band. That is a good name for a band. Oh right? man. Nicely yep. done. Yeah. Anybody Album 8472, Psychic mm-hmm. Threat. I kind of chuckled at this moment. Seven asks for Janeway's bioship data and not data. So, oh. you know, as Star Trek fans, we have these, you know, these earwigs about data yeah. and futile with the Borg and because yes. of the next generation. So does that make Janeway's pad a data pad or a data pad? Data pad. <laughs> okay. That's nice. Good question. Yeah. Really cool sequence when the the bio ship just slams into the Borg cube and the cube destroys itself to protect the information. Like this is just a cool action sequence. And it's an interesting idea too. And it's not obviously the first bio ship that we have seen stuck in a cube. So it it raises this question about strategy. Does 8472 just keep growing ships 
with the purchase of latching them onto the Borg, just violently, okay, we're going to take these, we're going to slam them into the Borg ship, and that'll be our delivery system, <laughs> you know? Like, oh, interesting. Yeah, right? Yeah. It, like, mm. they hadn't thought through another way to do this, but I, I guess they're all in. <laughs> Did you laugh? I don't know. I laughed when Harry's like, hey, guys, I'm back. Did I miss anything? I'm like, wouldn't that, that you have been yeah. <laughs> just a moment of levity um yeah. also uh, when you know when when balana who was at harry station when he says when she said to him there's a little bit of uh, tentacle up your nose i still like that they have that flirtatious relationship with each other like yeah that yeah. still to me rings more true than pretty much anything that she and tom have done so far yeah agreed agreed i love the rotating board cube firing all their weapons it's like fire everything moment you know, um, yes. for the Borg. And uh, when, when Tuvok is uh, transported over, if you look really closely, there's a really nice splattering of green blood across his knuckles. So there's a little bit of detail oh. with Vulcan blood um, showing Chico- um, Tuvok has been injured. Oh, interesting. Okay, I didn't yeah. uh, didn't catch that little bit. Now, wait a minute. When we get Janeway back, Janeway has had all, and I say all, of her neuroelectrical pathways disrupted. Uh, but she liked to speak Chakotay, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, that, that it sounds like the worst possible thing to happen. Uh, but, but before I get treated, uh, come over here and let's have a chat because I'm fully aware of everything that's going on. I need to give you direction. <laughs> but, but I do like the acting choice that she's kind of out of it and her words mm-hmm. are slurred a little bit and she sounds like she's degrading during the entirety of that, you know, of that moment. So she's great. Yeah. yeah. She she plays the reality of it really well. Um, I like the redress of Cargo Bay 2 into a Borg room. Really nice mm-hmm. set dressing there. Yeah. As you said before, in I think both Scorpion 1 and Scorpion 2's trivia, a lot of money was spent, you know, in these episodes, and it shows. Uh, well, money was spent, and remember, they got all those props and leftover oh. pieces from First Contact. So they really got to do a lot here. It's like, cool, we have this influx of new material that's already paid for but then we can also spend money on developing 8472 and doing these right so they they got it all yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) i love (laughs) i love chakotay's threat to to seven you won't be much of a threat floating in space and it's sort of like the voyager version of uh charles napier in the blues Mm -hmm. brothers saying hey you look pretty funny trying to eat corn on the cob with no blank teeth right? you know? <laughs> love it love it great reading your notes it's all right there in my brain and <laughs> i love that you yeah. referenced charles napier who brings yes. us all the way back to all the, the way back series. to tos that's yeah. right yeah and then i i love chakotay's i i hope you'll understand uh yeah cute chakotay and yeah she she won't <laughs> can somebody explain to me though in this scene like why janeway has been completely disrobed like it's her bare mm-hmm. shoulders, and you can see like, her bare upper chest, and presumably she would be bare underneath like yeah. the space blanket in sickbay. But why? Yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> right? It's a very it's- good question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm, not sure. Now, let's see here. We have eight planets destroyed, eight Borg planets destroyed mm-hmm. by 8472, 312 vessels disabled, and over 4 million Borg, that's million with an M, Borg eliminated. Yeah, it's how many, but 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 how many Borg were on those planets? Because their ships already seem pretty tight with mm-hmm. a lot of Borg on them, but population density must be pretty low if you're on a Borg planet. There, yeah. There's like one drone every square mile or something, you know. 
I'm wondering if the the Borg presence on a planet is just there for occupation. Could be. You know? Could be. Yeah. And they, they're just hanging out waiting somebody to come check on them one day. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe that's <laughs> like the Borg and Unity are like, oh, yeah. they'll never check on us. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So you have like these bio ships, like one bio ship, like lays waste to like all of these Borg yeah. planets and Borg ships. So that's like everything escalates over time. So remember when we saw the first Borg cube, you know, best mm-hmm. of both worlds, you're like, oh my God, how's Starfleet going to get past this? Yeah. Well, now you have like one bio ship taking on a whole bunch of cubes. You're like, <sighs> wow, how are those cubes going to get past this one get ship? Past this? Yeah. Love. I mean, what a cool idea to just have an enemy that is that much more formidable against the thing that was already terrifying to Starfleet. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. And I I do love that there is no hesitation at all about blasting Borg into space. And it was a good effect. Really well done seeing that airlock open on Voyager. And and I guess we know that they'll actually be all right in some respect, maybe, if Unity is any guide. Because remember, they they had... Oh, right. Right? Yeah. So you you never know. And I I will bring it up. uh, What the hell is fluidic space? Uh, (laughs) Because I I guess Voyager can just fly right through it, no problem. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe the fewer questions asked, the better. It's space in fluidic dimensions. Oh, of course. That's all I needed to know. Right. That's it. It's like yeah. being underwater in space. I yes. guess. Space yeah. water. Mm-hmm. Space water. Right. I mean, it's a nice, it's a nice effect. Um, it is. It is. Yeah. And, and it's funny when seven says species eight, four, seven, two was more resistance than we anticipated. That's Borg for there's always a bigger fish because yeah. yeah. fluidic space fish. No, you're, you're Next. fired. You're Next. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but hey, as soon as we get into fluidic space and Chakotay makes that reveal, looks like the Borg effed around and they found out. For real. Uh, yes, for real. They did. They yeah. did. Um, I do love the doctor's smug satisfaction in healing both Janeway and Kim. Peak doctor right there. Always. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At two for two, he says, come on. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, yeah. should, he should reprogram his holographic arm to be longer so he can pat his holographic back more. It's exactly. Yes. Right? Yes. And speaking of the doctor, why does the doctor need to announce to the computer that he wants to be deactivated? Like he is that thing. So when, when, when he is told to deactivate computer, please deactivate the emergency holograph. Like, no, no, no. You, you could just blink out. You, you could maybe tap on those buttons that you're afraid to touch on your hollow emitter. All mm-hmm. kinds of things you could do. It is a weird thing. I mean, it's not really consistent in the Voyager vernacular no, right now. No. I'm not sure if ever will be. And I guess we'll bring that up like, you know, as the time comes. I like Kate's acting when, when well, Kate as Janeway and Kate as Kate Mulgrew, when Chakotay pushes back and then he drops like the Intel bomb on her. It's like, it's their fault that we're in this war. And she's like, yeah, I didn't know that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there was that recognition and, and Kate Mulgrew, she, her nuances are very, uh, very good she her just with like a a, so a glance she's like oh yeah yeah i didn't know that <laughs> yeah yeah but but then you cut to uh janeway's uh explanation to seven and she says i've relieved chakotay of his command and i just feel like janeway's been waiting to say this for a while like 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 she was practicing that mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like yeah we're, we're gonna make this count we're gonna sell this and, and i i kept wondering as we got to the end of that sequence like they still haven't started building the weapons yet like they, they need to come on come on seven is right we need to start doing this now like yeah she's three days efficient. ago 
yeah, the yeah. Voyager crew, not so much. Right. Here's efficiency, though, John. Mm-hmm. And this happened in both Scorpion 1 and Scorpion 2. When she needed to be on the bridge, Kess is there. But we never mm-hmm. really see the transition scene of why she's there. So I was hoping that in their preparations, Janeway said, somebody get me Kess. Yes. Yeah. Right? Good point. Good point. She just kind of shows up. Mm-hmm. Love the idea about Borg modifications on Voyager. Like that is very interesting. And I wonder, will this come in handy in the future? Like, you know, that personal cloaking device we picked right. up or the, the personal transporter thing, like all these, all this cool tech that Voyager has been keeping all along from the Delta Quadrant. Right. 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 They, they've that's been a, keeping stuff. That's a great point. And I think the yeah. only version of Voyager that I believe exists so far with all those modifications is the Eagle Moss version of Voyager. I think you're right. With all those modifications. Yes, yes, (laughs) you're absolutely right. Nice little bit of suspense being built while the weapons took time to work. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I loved, uh, I guess, when the plan was in action, you saw that Seven of Nine shoves this officer like away from her console. It's like... That was like the physical version of what she does verbally to people. Yes. Yes. Just cuts yes. them off and shoves them to the side. <laughs> yes. I love it. And then the deal is off and whoa, surprise, surprise. The board mm. turned out to be the scorpion after all. Mm. Um, but really nice use of Chakotay's experience in Unity. I, yeah. It's so cool. If they hadn't planned on that to come back for this episode, it was the perfect way to do it. And I... I am curious, though, if Chakotay was able to neurolink with the collective and through the collective to seven, does that mean the collective knows what he knows now? <gasps> oh, oh, man. Yeah, that could be bad. Because remember, they're uploading and downloading information at the speed of plot. So <laughs> they all know what Chakotay does, where Voyager is, how he feels about Janeway. Things like that. I mean, they already know the full armaments complement on Voyager anyway. Well, how would they know that, John? (laughs) Well, (laughs) because they are Borg. Because they are Borg. Borg, Right. Tuvok says about Seven, her connection to the collective is severed. Does that now make her severed of nine? That that's that needs to be a Warp Eleven song. <laughs> you can only fire me once. That, that, <laughs> that's the title. Now I, I do I love this final scene. Well, the penultimate scene of Janeway sitting in Leonardo's work workshop, and I love the idea of her sitting there writing with a quill, just so she can get away from technology, from the comfort of the holodeck. Specious 8473 is going to have a lot to live up to if they're going to top these guys. Watch them turn out to be a species of pacifist multidimensional hamsters with terrible fashion sense. We'll get right back to Scorpion Part 2 after a word from this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. You know, John, in the tradition of Mm -hmm. what we do here on Mission Log, because we love talking about ExpressVPN, I have an analogy for you. Oh, good, good. Uh, it may be an analogy sort of like, uh, oh, I don't know, a worst case scenario like we described not that long ago. 
This is why you are sitting where you're sitting, and yes. I am thinking about this analogy. Because this uh-huh. analogy, it's, it's very common to all of us. Mm-hmm. Think about using the internet without ExpressVPN. That's like, say, not paying attention to the safety demonstration on a flight. You know mm-hmm. when the flight attendant starts their discussion about, pay attention to me because mm-hmm. this might save your life. Well, it might be fine. But what if that day that weird yellow mask they talk about that drops down from overhead or should, you have then no idea what to do because you weren't paying attention? Just, there you go. Just, just name my greatest fear. <laughs> You've got it. Second greatest fear is not being safe on the Internet. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's better to be safe than sorry is the moral of the story. I, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. So this is why everyone needs a VPN. Because every time you connect to an unencrypted network, and think about it, unencrypted networks are everywhere. You go to a retail store, a cafe, a hotel, airport, any hacker on the same network can gain access to your personal data. And that means your passwords, your financial details, anything you've got on your device. And it doesn't take that much technical knowledge to do it. I mean, someone can do it with some cheap hardware. I mean, a smart 12-year-old can figure it out. Now, your data is valuable to hackers, and they can make up to a grand, a thousand bucks per person selling that personal information on the dark web. So here are a couple technical things you need to know, and then we're just going to put it into common terms for you, because why is ExpressVPN important? Well, it has this encrypted tunnel, meaning that it creates a secure and encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet, so hackers, like the smart 12-year-old with you know, a supercomputer, can't mm. steal your sensitive data, and it's also super secure. So again, that 12-year-old hacker, or whatever age hacker, with that supercomputer, it would take them over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. Now, here are the easier terms that you might understand. It's easy to use. You fire up the app, you click the one button to get protected, that's it. And it also works on all your devices the same way. Phones, laptops, tablets, and more. You can stay secure on the go that easily. Yeah, and and that's what I really like. You mentioned that it would take a supercomputer a billion years to get past ExpressVPN. For those of you playing at home, that is longer than it will take Voyager to get from the Delta Quadrant back home. And that is a very, very long time. And, you know, I love using ExpressVPN, first of all, because it's safe. But look, safe is no good if it's not easy. And you just said it, Norm, it is easy. You fire it up, you press one button, you are connected and protected. And by the way, if you're using it on your phone, I I love that satisfying little click, that little haptic feedback that Mm -hmm. tells you that you are connected. It's it's just very satisfying. That's why I love it. So secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash mission log. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash mission log. And you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash mission log. All right, Norman, Scorpion part two. Uh, I feel like we're primarily going to have a conversation that is like a an offshoot of last week's conversation but there was so much to cover last week that we really had to break these up into two you know uh but but now like this escalation the the this constantly changing condition around uh what's happened with janeway and then chakotay being in command you know last week it was just the argument on principle the argument on 
I'm your first officer. It is my job to express to you when I feel like you might be making a bad decision. But now it's different because now Chakotay is in command. Wonderful, wonderful writing to have given us that in the last episode and then actually have it play out in this episode. Mm -hmm. I thought that was terrific. Now, look. I know next to nothing about the military. <laughs> so please correct me here if I'm wrong. Um, and I feel like members of our audience who do have military experience, they may have many and varied takes on this as well. But if a captain is incapacitated and someone else by all intents is in command, does that person then have the right to change the plan? Especially, especially if battlefield conditions change. And I know that this is a really fine line because the mission overall is one thing. I mean, Janeway laying there in her state in sickbay, get our people home and explaining, like they will push you, they will try to trick you, they will try to get the best of you, but you have to do this. But conditions changed. And what is more important here? It's the safety, I, I think, the safety of the ship and the people on board. Now, I, I fully understand why Janeway is angry and disagrees with Chakotay's decisions, but does she trust his judgment? I, I mean, it, it, he is her first officer for a reason. And it seems like when that captain is incapacitated, yeah, you, you can't just arbitrarily decide to retreat or completely change the point of the mission. But if we're going to hold Voyager's crew and Voyager itself safety in any kind of regard, does he have a leg to stand on? Is Chakotay right? Is he partially right? Is he too eager to cut and run? What do we have here? This is a really interesting conversation and one that uh, I have had both online and offline, you know, mm -hmm. with our Discord community, uh, mm -hmm. with one of my closest friends and friend to the show, uh, mm -hmm. Charlene Schmidt, you know, who at one point in time, you know, dissected this episode along with, you know, her co-host, you know, Tristan yeah. um, to the journey. Yeah. And <clears throat> first of all, we have to address one very specific elephant in the room, and that is, is Starfleet military. That's, mm. I know, an aside part of this conversation. Yeah. But if it is a military, then the argument we can go forward with, if it is not, it's just a hierarchy of this spacefaring peacekeeping armada at one point in which was described <laughs> by yes. you know, Captain yeah. Pike in 2009. Yeah. Be that as it may, when the captain is incapacitated, the first officer is in command. That is the hierarchy of Starfleet. We have seen that happen. Let's go all the way back to the Tholian web. Okay, mm -hmm. Kirk was, he was, for all intents and purposes, incapacitated while he was in interphasic space, mm. and Spock had to take command. McCoy did not care for Spock's command style. Spock didn't care that McCoy didn't care. Spock was in command. When Kirk was, uh, you know, in um, the Doomsday Machine, when Kirk was trapped on the defiant you know commodore decker was in charge of the enterprise and spock was first officer so it really depends on the reason why i bring up those two examples because one the captain wasn't there even though the captain was still alive 
another captain took charge and the first officer remained the first officer. But yeah. in you know, the Tholian web, Spock was in charge. And everything that he did was trying to get back the captain, even though at times it put the captain at risk. And McCoy disagreed with him. Spock was right. still in charge. So by that example, even if you disagree with Chakotay, he's still in charge. He's the captain. Yeah. You know, for all intents yeah. and purposes. So I guess the, the bigger question is, who is who has the crew's best interests at heart? And I know that this is going to draw a lot of heat, probably towards me. But there are two ways, two things that are happening in this conversation. There's Chakotay's mm-hmm. way, and there's Janeway's way, or the, the Jane, Jane way. way. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to bring up these two examples to you. Seven of Nine says to Janeway, mm-hmm. are you willing to risk a direct confrontation with us? If we transport 500 drones onto your vessel, do you believe you could offer sufficient resistance? Mm-hmm. Janeway says we'd die trying. Yeah. All right. Oh, she, she blew so up the ship without hesitation. Yeah. And she has threatened blowing mm-hmm. up the ship for less mm-hmm. before in earlier episodes. Now, isn't this exactly what Chakotay was trying to prevent in his first confrontation with Janeway, trying to convince her that there are alternatives to dying to the Borg? Yeah. I mean, because the, the mission, yeah, the mission at hand here is to get home safely. The mission at hand is not to win a war. Right. Yeah. Right. And he even says out loud on the record in the ready room, you know, I'm in command now or in the uh, briefing room. I'm mm-hmm. in command now and I have to do what I think is best for this crew. Yeah. So by the algebra of this, Janeway is resolved to die trying to resist the Borg, and Chakotay is willing to save every life, but possibly not get home. Yeah. Which do you think is most preferable to somebody if they asked you, what would you like to do today? Would yeah. you like to die fighting, or would you like to live, but maybe not get home? And look, I know that there are those who would say that the heroic thing is to die fighting, but this is a battle that we just walked into. This isn't a battle that just showed up on our doorstep and said, hey, we're here to take over. There is still opportunity to get away. Now, and as I brought up last week, there is the risk that Voyager turns around, goes to a nicely peaceful inhabited planet. They spend a couple of years getting back to, I don't know, the pleasure planet, whatever, whatever the case may be. Don't go back to Teresia. We know that's a dead end. But by doing so, they lead the Borg there. What we also don't know, though, is if one of those quasi-benevolent, technologically advanced civilizations out there would also provide safe harbor from the Borg that may also be able to defeat the Borg. I mean, we don't know too much about the Voth. We know they have very Mm -hmm. big ships, and we know that they're much more powerful than Voyager. We might have left on chilly terms, but the Voth may think nothing of smacking down the the Borg like like flies, <laughs> you know, we, we simply don't know these things. And I feel like Janeway is just ready to do battle as if that's the mission. And we've seen time and again in 
movies or on TV shows where the captain makes, yes, the heroic gesture of the odds that are unwinnable but will fight anyway. Is that really the responsible way of protecting the handful of lives that have trusted you to get them safely home and alive? 500 drones. We know in the history of what Janeway has studied about Wolf 359 and subsequent engagements with the Borg that one Starfleet ship against a Borg cube is unwinnable. Yeah. The only reason why we were able to stop them, we, because I'm in Starfleet, because <laughs> the only reason why that Starfleet was able to, or the Enterprise D was able to stop them at Sector 001 mm-hmm. is because Locutus intervened, that Picard fought so hard to regain his individuality right. to the point where Data was able to intervene and put them to sleep. Right. Right. <laughs> right. My God, he's exhausted. No. Um, <laughs> so that was luck. That mm-hmm. wasn't strategy, right? Yeah. There's no luck involved here. There are cubes after cubes after cubes against one 148-man ship. Mm-hmm. That is unwinnable. Mm-hmm. Why would a captain think that those odds are beatable? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. look, Janeway's pretty magnificent. Like I said, love her. Well, as no a doubt. I, yeah, but, I'm not arguing that. But, but at the same time, it's like if we try to apply this through a real world situation, is this strategically the right thing to do? And I think there's every argument to be made that it is not. And I want to go back to Seven of Nine's point here to Chicote. You lack harmony, cohesion, greatness. I like how she, you know, makes those things equivalent it will be your undoing and here's what's funny about that so chakotay has that revelation that they need to stop fighting and work together okay sure because it will be your undoing yes yes i i get that but the cooperation means doing what janeway says So, so is that really the collective of voices of the Voyager crew doing what's right? Or is this just a lesson in command that you shut up and do what your captain tells you? Now, granted, granted, there there is a creative angle to this that we get to later. And I think that's a very positive creative angle that the show takes. But I, I, I mean, I look at that and I think, they're having this person-to-person talk in sickbay, just Chicote and Janeway. We need to stop arguing. We need to stop fighting. And then the camera's cut. But what was said after that is Janeway saying to Chicote, you're right. Now do what I tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I can't see that going any other way. I wish that uh, we had more time or maybe the uh, episodes went a different way where we didn't feel like Janeway was backed into a corner to make a decision, and Chakotay is like, we're backed into a corner. We have no other option. Mm. Janeway yeah. versus the Borg is it's a very direct expression of why she wants to, for some reason or another, exercise her will on this situation. Like they're, It's not like there are 15 Borg vessels surrounding a planet that they can't escape from. Of course you have to fight your way out. There's no mm-hmm. other way. But there is another way. It's just not the way that she wants it. It's Chakotay's way. Mm-hmm. And his way is, I want to make sure that people get to live another day. Yeah. And I don't feel like 
in my opinion, Chakotay saying, I don't have the right to sacrifice lives when the option to save lives is on the table. Bingo. Yes. That's where I take great exception to why Janeway's pushing so hard to prove what. What point is she trying to make? I know Chakotay's point because it makes sense. Saving lives is what Starfleet does, including their own, or it should be, instead of trying to win the unwinnable war. There are allies that they could have found. They could have pulled favors or markers. They could have, I don't know, created a... You know, a coalition of forces, perhaps mm. uh, like a like a federation of in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> that would be unheard of, and also very in the vein of Star Trek. Now I know we're kind of like rewriting after the I fact, know, I know. but at the same time, though, Janeway for me appears to only see one way. I think that Chakotay has very respectfully, as first officer, tried to at least give her options. Yeah. And I don't think that she's ever in, ent- really entertained one of them. So I have to ask exactly why is she pushing so hard? I asked the exact same question in Scorpion, and I hope we get an answer. But um, <laughs> I kind of wanted to, to retune um, this conversation yeah, to yeah. like more of an overall thematic look at these two episodes. So I ask you, I ask the listeners, is Scorpion parts one and two Voyager's version of best of both worlds part one and two mm. a la redo mm. or redux. How yeah. Do you want to say it? Yeah. Okay. So here are a couple things. Please follow me around the room. Okay. So, I mean, from the obvious connective tissue, a Borg laden two parter. Yes. A climactic season three finale. Yes. To an explosive season four premiere. Mm-hmm. So these are kind of like the subtle connections between the next generation and Voyager. But I think the most interesting part of those two stories are the tracks and the stories of the first officers in both episodes. Yes. Yes. So these episodes from best of both worlds to Scorpion, both stories have first officers whose respective captains have both been incapacitated by the Borg in some way or another. Both first officers have been challenged with the safety and well-being of their ship and their crew, while also forced to deal with a threat of the Borg and how that threat has placed them at odds with their captains, Riker versus Locutus, Mm -hmm. because Picard was incapacitated by the Borg and Riker has to contend with that while trying to save Picard and also the Battle of Wolf 359. Chakotay versus Janeway. Janeway has been incapacitated because she was put under the medical coma and Chakotay now has to contend with supporting her last command to make her alliance work while also ensuring that seven and the Borg don't stab them in the back and also trying to also exercise his option of trying to save the crew. Right. So I just found that these tracks of both Riker and Chakotay from a point of growth were very similar, you know, in those respects. It's almost as if I'm not saying that Scorpion aped, Best of both worlds. No, no, no. I, I don't think you're saying that at all. But I, I, I think that thematically, these are really interesting parallels. And it would be interesting to talk to, you know, Brandon or Joe Minoski and say, okay, look, yeah, you're already steeped in these Borg stories. But did you look at best of both worlds and say, aha, there's a dynamic here to play with. And now we're going to push it you know, even to a further degree by having this really big rift between the captain and the first officer and see what drama we can mine out of that. It, I, I think it had to be on their minds, realizing 
what a great, what a you know watershed moment for T and G that was for Best of Both Worlds. And maybe not think, okay, we can replicate it with Voyager, but we can truly take the best of that and craft our own story given our very unique parameters. If opening the airlock hadn't worked, the backup plan was to beam all the Borg into Club Bromed. The cold vacuum of space was probably more merciful. We've actually finally made it to what has been an extremely densely packed episode of Mission Log with Scorpion Part 2. I'm not going to beat around the bush <laughs> because that bush has certainly been fired upon by many biomolecular yes. weapons. And uh, hopefully we've found another set of resolutions Ooh. for Chakotay and I feel Janeway. like we'll never be resolved with Chakotay and Janeway. No. no. But, you know, in, in resolving all of that, we do what we do here at Mission Log. We get to the end of the episode. We first see if the episode holds up, or in this case, part two of a two-part episode holds up. And then we see if there have been any morals or meanings and messages that we've mined from this episode. So let's start with you, John. Uh, what have you been able to assimilate from this episode? Here's part of the problem. Scorpion part one is so damn good. <laughs> and and if this one as part two doesn't quite match that one, it is only by a little bit. It is only just by a fraction, just by a hair. I, I think very wisely they have followed the story threads that they, I think, very fully explored in episode one, but heightened in this episode and introduce some new ideas along the way too. I think the tone is just slightly different and that's a good thing. It, it is very nice to continue that thread in the difference of command with Janeway and Chakotay and all of that being unresolved, but again, like taking it to that next height where uh, Chakotay actually is in command and has to make a decision against what Janeway would have wanted. I think this is all dramatically really nice. I, I love the idea of having a singular Borg who is this conduit to work with the Voyager crew. And it, it's very interesting to see how we resolve getting her to stay, getting the others to go away, like blasting them out of an airlock, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and, and just the, the little tease, little hint about things like having Borg tech on Voyager. Like, how does this change things going forward if and when they encounter Borg again? Now, we talked a little bit off-air about Jerry Ryan being in this role. And to me, in this one episode where we've been introduced to her so far, and I, I want to use my words carefully here because I'm I'm not I'm not making a slight against her or a slight against the production. Okay, there is something that is not quite hitting for me on all cylinders in the performance, only because this is the only Borg that we've seen act as an individual outside of well the Borg Queen. Locutus, we did have Hugh, but that's really about it. And like with Locutus and with the Borg Queen, uh, particularly, well, especially with Locutus, you, you have that alteration in the voice. So there, there's that kind of mechanical effect that you got out of them. And the performances in those are a bit different. You know, Locutus is very logical and driven by the directive. Right. The Borg Queen has this kind of 
odd creepy seduction about her and I, I don't mean that in like a sexual way I just mean kind of the way we talked about Garrick just like, like leading with this seductive quality to ingratiate and therefore absorb and assimilate what is around you know and then Hugh we had this leading with this uh, innocence really that was the, that was a, a different take on that character there's something about Seven in this singular episode and in this singular guise that maybe doesn't feel quite Borg enough for me. Because remember, Seven was assimilated 18 years ago and has lived her you know, adolescent and adult life as Borg. And even though we get the fun things like, we are Borg... Because that, that is just a reactionary way to do things. I think she acts as an individual very quickly and very easily and brings a bit of attitude there, <laughs> you know, and, and that might be okay that, you know, and that might just be a character decision like, ooh, we're going to make this singular Borg have an attitude. I don't know if I necessarily know why that is or where that's coming from. You know, so I wonder if they toyed with different ideas and bringing this one to life for this episode. Like, did they toy with modulating her voice or giving her some other very mechanical aspect? Um, so that that's what I'm getting at. You, you know, I, I don't mm -hmm. want to slight the episode at all or slight her at all. But that was just the thing that I'm trying to reconcile in my mind. Okay. So if I look at Scorpion part one and I say, okay, that's a 10 out of 10, maybe this, you know, I, I wrote eight in my notes. I'm just going to say it. Maybe this is like a nine out of 10, but like that, that's what a problem to have. Okay. <laughs> so, so, or seven, or out, seven of out of nine, maybe so, maybe so okay. it is so solid. It is, so good as a resolution to that two-parter it sets up a great new character and honestly i wish in voyager we had gotten this along the way where you mm. can just introduce new characters who will be with us for a while i think they failed at that with kazon and thank goodness we only got a little bit of that here and there with them and with seska but how cool would it have been to have brought other people on board for five you know six or seven episodes and just see what happens when they become part of the crew i think this just works incredibly well as a bridge episode between uh, seasons three and four there's really not much to not like about this it works very well and hell yeah it holds up stands the test of time what about you man i i really enjoyed your points about jerry and you know her portrayal of seven of nine as a mm -hmm. borg because I felt the same way mm. and probably still do when we compare, well, I should say I compare, or maybe we compare how other actors interpret a Vulcan. Yeah. Because Leonard's, right. you know, Leonard's interpretation of Spock became the pinnacle of what we believe a Vulcan should be, act, behave, you know, mannerisms, etc. Then you have Tim Russ, who brings a, a wonderful new interpretation as Tuvok. Uh, jumping the timeline, but not really just, you know, just uh, acknowledging the actor with Jolene Blaylock's interpretation of the Paul, yeah. you know, and so mm -hmm. on and so forth, because there should be more similarities and differences. And I'm hoping that, you know, further on when we see Jerry evolve as mm -hmm. seven, maybe those 
inconsistencies might smooth out mm-hmm. over time and sure. we'll see why these decisions were made. But I think that that's a fair point to say that when you have an established, you know, the established epitome of a character or a race, like say Locutus, yeah. right? You expect that that's the watermark, you know, and that's where the pattern right. comes from. But sometimes if you stick too close to the pattern, it becomes a little monotonous. Yeah. And then the the other argument can be made like, well, I wish we see a little bit more in the next version of a yeah. character like yeah. this. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, it's, it's kind of like a pros and cons kind of thing. But for me, I mean, I thought this was an, just an amazing conclusion of what I said in Scorpion Part 1, which is this is Voyager's best two-parter to date. Mm-hmm. And there is... You know, obviously a lot of money spent. Uh, as you said earlier, there was a lot of uh, production value that was brought in from First Contact, you know, assets that were appropriated mm-hmm. and used very well uh, so that they can free up the budget for better effects, you know, better CGI. Uh, the space battles were incredible. All of these things bring more of like a movie-like quality and a cinematic aspect that really draw yeah. you in to an episode like this. Um, I think that Jerry Ryan's impact as Seven of Nine was very immediate. Yeah. You know, she obviously creates an indelible mark with her character and her talent from the moment that she is revealed as the spokesperson for the Borg. And I can't even imagine somebody else playing mm-hmm. that role you yeah. know, because her ownership of that role was so immediate. Now, we also talked about this offline in the VAM <laughs> portion of this recording. Exclusive for Patreon get. members. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you, John. And I still have issues with the way that I believe they've manufactured the drama between Janeway and Chakotay solely to ramp up the tension between these two characters who have never experienced this type of tension before, Mm. where trust and betrayal became a pivotal dynamic for their relationship moving forward. And I felt that was unearned, and I felt that it was created, again, to heighten the emotional... um, the emotional responses for us as the audience, but also found that very manipulative in the same way. Uh, Resolutions has never been resolved and (laughs) this doesn't help. Yes. Right. Yes. So it just felt telegraphed. It felt unearned. I'm glad that it was resolved, but I don't think that it came by honestly. And I wish that, you know, we saw a little bit more of that buildup over time before we got to this two parter. Now, speaking of telegraphed, I also want to make a note of Jennifer Lian's name in the also starring credits yeah. because that to me, I felt that this is the end, you know, for Kess. I don't know exactly when in the episodes that's going to happen, but since she is now no longer part of the main credit sequence, I'm going to, I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to miss Kess. I think that she was a fantastic character. I liked her growth. I liked when they gave her mm-hmm. focus. I really enjoyed uh, Jennifer evolving with the character, and I think that the way that they handled her maybe in this entire third season was uh, uneven yeah. and I think a little unfair. And as much as I appreciate you know, Jerry Ryan coming in as mm-hmm. seven, I really am going to miss Jennifer Lee and exiting. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to have more to say about that in the next episode, um, but I agree with you. It, it was a little weird to see her name in the also starring, although that is a good credit to have. That is a negotiated title to have also starring, mm-hmm. uh, but it has to be weird when you've been on a show for three seasons and then you're back immediately to kick off the fourth, but it's in this different role. Not, not different right. performative role, but different uh, production role. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that brings us to morals, meanings, messages. And I think we're on similar ground as we were last week, but maybe with a few nuanced differences here. I, I'm so interested in this provocative line of thought that Seven of Nine confronts Chicote with about uh, their lack of cohesion being their undoing. Because I kept thinking, well, where exactly is that line between working together without room for opinion or having too many opinions to the point of stagnation and chaos? You know, the Borg, you've got millions and millions and millions of members, millions of individual drones, but all thinking as one, acting as one. There is no room for any dissenting opinion that could honestly change the entire course of their evolution, change their entire directive. You get on a ship like Voyager and you go, okay, well, we've only actually been concerned with the command decisions of literally two people, and they can't see eye to eye. And if you can't see eye to eye when there's only two people trying to make an important decision here, then it really does feel like we're doomed because this is, again, 148 lives we're talking about. It's not just like, what do we have for dinner tonight? No, (laughs) you know, this is an incredibly important thing. And if it's only those two, well, how many other opinions? in the command staff or in the rest of the crew rank and file have not been considered along the way. Gotta say that I I do appreciate the dedication to not doing things the Borg way and trying to wipe out an entire species, <laughs> you know? To, to Janeway's uh, credit here, you can actually make a point. Now, you can actually make a point if you have the bigger stick. And they have the bigger stick, which is this bioweapon, which, yes, she's going to use sparingly. They used it four times, and they used the mega version of that weapon. So they fired five times, and they took out, you know, probably a couple of dozen of those uh, bioships. I mean... Could you even draw a parallel to like the use, you mentioned J. Robert Oppenheimer earlier, uh, making a parallel to the use of a nuclear weapon? You know, you Mm -hmm. use it sparingly once or twice, given its horrific implications and what it did to innocent people. Can you make the argument that that was still the humane way to go? It was done. It's history now. We saw what happened with that. And there are historians who say, well, that shortened the war. It sped up the surrender so there wouldn't be more loss of life, more death after that point. So Janeway stopped the Borg from just wiping out an entire species from committing genocide. But in that same breath, used the weapon still deployed the weapon and still killed a lot of those, yes, attacking powerful aliens who would have wiped them out too. But there's still, I think, an ethical question about how those weapons get used. I guess also going back to the parable in the title, guess you can't change a scorpion's nature, but maybe you can talk to it nicely and create a distraction. <laughs> that's uh, that's what uh, Chakotay did at least. 
put a shield on yes, your back. Yes, exactly. Shield <laughs> on your back. Um, and, and there was something there at the end with, uh, I, I like that little wrap-up in Leonardo's workshop where Janeway says to Chakotay about seven of nine, we have something the Borg could never offer, friendship. And it's really cool that we've introduced Seven this way. And it's equally cool that we can assume how appealing that friendship could or should be. But then you're setting up yourself and your crew to follow through with that. And maybe, maybe friendship can save the day in that respect, at least in this one case. Hopefully that is what saves the day. Um, when you mentioned Oppenheimer, I just want to clarify that that portion of our conversation was also in the that value in the material yes. that we have yes. in our Mission Log uncut yeah. version, which you are, is for mm-hmm. our Patreon and Discord audiences exclusively. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to bring up uh, the scorpion and the, po- and, the, and the fox parable again because obviously it's of paramount importance to this yeah. episode. So is being the scorpion or the fox a parable, a warning, a point of view – a cautionary tale, or all of the above. Seven of Nine said, when your captain, she said this to uh, Mm. Chakotay, you brought this up before, when your captain first approached us, we suspected that an agreement with humans would prove impossible to maintain. You are erratic, conflicted, disorganized. Every decision is debated, every action questioned, every individual entitled to their own small opinion. You lack harmony, cohesion, greatness it will be your undoing this period is period now period especially in the realm of social media and how we as a species communicate at large do you think i'm wrong take a look around in restaurants or in movie theaters or in public areas and just just look around and observe how many people are either by themselves or in their own groups and how many of these people are staring at some kind of device even within those groups around the table waiting for dinner you know waiting for the movie to start during the movie (laughs) and it's so incredibly ironic that we as a society at the pinnacle of our technological achievements are like the borg striving to achieve and integrate the finest and the most advanced technological enhancements in order to evolve ourselves as a human race. But what has that technology done to us en masse? Mm. Now, through the abuse of such technology, as we are wont to do, and as Seven described, we have become exactly what she described and just as divided. Mm. And am I speaking generalities? Of course, <laughs> you know, there are obviously exceptions to the rules and there are obviously there are people that have that are using technology to the benefit of mankind. But think about the last time you really felt like you were in the kind of harmonious and quote unquote cohesive environment that allows you to grow and evolve and improve and strive for your own greatness, your own individuality. Did technology play a part for or against that evolution or any actual human interaction play a part of that evolution. So have we convinced ourselves that technology has actually elevated us closer to where we're supposed to be in the evolution of our species? Or, like the parable says, has that technology just allowed us to stab our own potential in the back? Because that's just our nature. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. 
If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the mission log discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com, And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, the gift. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. Janeway is absolutely right to pull Seven off the local network. The Borg are the 24th century botnet. Fortunately, they didn't try to turn her off and back on again. And transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.